few days in the offing. Then the custom house crew would become doubly vigilant and wary. At night, a sloop or two would be making strange trips in and out along the shore, and in the morning, the stock of three-star Hennessy, wines, and dry goods in Coralio would be found vastly increased. It has also been said that the customs officials jingled more silver in the pockets of their red-striped trousers and that the record book showed no increase in import duties received. The customs boat and the Valhalla gig reached the shore at the same time. When they grounded in the shallow water, there was still five yards of rolling surf between them and dry sand. Then half-clothed caribs dashed into the water and brought in on their backs the Valhalla's purser and the little native officials in their cotton undershirts, blue trousers with red stripes, and flapping straw hats. At college, Giddy had been a treasure as a first baseman. He now closed his umbrella, stuck it upright in the sand, and stooped with his hands resting upon his knees. The purser, burlesquing the pitcher's contortions, hurled at the consul the heavy roll of newspapers tied with a string that the steamer always brought for him. Giddy leaped high and caught the roll with a sounding thwack. The loungers on the beach, about a third of the population of the town, laughed and applauded delightedly. Every week they expected to see that roll of papers delivered and received in that same manner, and they were never disappointed. Innovations did not flourish in Coralio. The council rehoisted his umbrella and walked back to the consulate. This home of a great nation's representative was a wooden structure of two rooms with a native-built gallery of poles, bamboo and nipa palm running on three sides of it. One room was the official apartment, furnished chastely with a flat-top desk, a hammock, and three uncomfortable cane-seated chairs. Engravings of the first and latest president of the country represented hung against the wall. The other room was the council's living apartment. It was eleven o'clock when he returned from the beach, and therefore breakfast time. Chanka, the Carib woman who cooked for him, was just serving the meal on the side of the gallery facing the sea, a spot famous as the coolest in Coralio. The breakfast consisted of shark's fin soup, stew of land crabs, breadfruit, a boiled iguana steak, aguacates, a freshly cut pineapple, claret, and coffee. Getty took his seat and unrolled with luxurious laziness his bundle of newspapers. Here in Coralio, for two days or longer, he would read of goings-on in the world, very much as we of the world read those whimsical contributions to inexact science that assume to portray the doings of the Martians. After he had finished with the papers, they would be sent on the rounds of the other English-speaking residents of the town. The paper that came first to his hand was one of those bulky mattresses of printed stuff upon which the readers of certain New York journals are supposed to take their Sabbath literary nap. Opening this, the consul rested it upon the table, supporting its weight with the aid of the back of a chair. Then he partook of his meal deliberately, turning the leaves from time to time and glancing half idly at the contents. Presently he was struck by something familiar to him in a picture, a half-page, badly printed reproduction of a photograph of a vessel. Languidly interested, he leaned for a nearer scrutiny and a view of the florid headlines of the column next to the picture. Yes, 
he was not mistaken. The engraving was of the eight-hundred-ton yacht Adalia, belonging to that prince of good fellows, Midas of the money market, and society's pink of perfection, J. Ward Tolliver. Slowly sipping his black coffee, Getty read the column of print. Following a listed statements of Mr. Tolliver's real estate and bonds came a description of the yacht's furnishings, and then the grain of news no bigger than a mustard seed. Mr. Tolliver, with a party of favored guests, would sail the next day on a six-weeks cruise along the Central American and South American coasts and among the Bahama Islands. Among the guests were Mrs. Cumberland Payne and Miss Ida Payne of Norfolk. The writer, with the fatuous presumption that was demanded of him by his readers, had concocted a romance suited to their palates. He bracketed the names of Miss Payne...